scripture reading tonight is from Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are in the season that the church calls Eastertide, or Easter season, and uh, it's 50 days. It's broken really into two parts. The Lord walked the earth for 40 days after he rose from the dead, meeting different people, revealing himself to them. And then he ascended into heaven on the 40th day. Uh, next Friday night, we're going to have a, uh, a picnic at the Botanical Gardens. I hope you can come. Uh, we're going to have a little time of remembering his ascension, and then next Sunday we will uh, have a whole service about Ascension Sunday. And then seven days after that, the Lord poured out his Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And so that's what that Sunday will be about. And Saturday night before Pentecost, we're having a pre-Pentecost prayer service. So say that five times fast, pre-Pentecost prayer service. Uh, for the filling of the Holy Spirit up in the chapel. So that's become a tradition here at All Souls, and we would love to have you join that as well. So you remember we've uh, come up with a couple of uh, different props that Scott has helped prepare. Uh, The first one was this slow church sign, and I I don't know if we have a place for it tonight, but uh, I began the series by wondering what church in a post-Christian secular urban context might look like. There's a cheery way to begin a sermon. And, and we suggested that whatever it might look like, this walk of the disciples on the Emmaus Road, this long, slow walk with Jesus, might be kind of a model of what the church in the future will look like, that it is a long, patient conversation with brothers and sisters in the presence of Christ, that, that that's kind of a clue about that. So we said that might be a, a slow church. And, and then the second week, we talked a little bit about um, the flannel graph that many of us were, uh, were learned the gospel on when we were young, and that what happens usually somewhere along the road in our journey is that we, uh, we go to college, perhaps, or we get through college and we get married and go through a divorce, 
or the pastor that we love gets a brain tumor, or the business that we started doesn't go the way we thought it would, or the child that we raise according to the scriptures is not walking in the way that they're supposed to go because it was a contract and God didn't keep his bargain. And whatever happens, life often comes along and has us take these characters off of the flannel board and then leaves us with the challenge of reconstructing our faith. And so we've talked about this deconstruction that happens. And, and I, this has actually been important for us. If, you ha- if you're part of our family, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. We've talked about deconstructing our faith and then reconstructing our faith. And then last week I compared the church sometimes to a chicken with its head cut off. Um, so Scott, do you have the chicken? Uh, no, we, we decided not to do the chicken tonight. Uh, so you can just imagine that. So we are in the last scene of this uh, movie, as it were. And you'll, you'll remember that up to now, we've just been with two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And we've seen how Christ met those disciples and helped them reconstruct their faith. But what happens next is they go, and this is all the first day of the church, right? This is all the, the first day of the resurrection. And they go to be with the 11 other disciples who are in a room in Jerusalem, and they are scared to death. And I want to just step back for a minute and think about what it was like to be a disciple on uh, the first Sunday. And, and this, it would be kind of like this. We had a shepherding team meeting on um, Tuesday night. Imagine if we walked in and somebody said, well, you know, Tommy committed suicide because he's so disillusioned with how this has all turned out. And Tommy's chair is empty. That's what happened to the disciples. Judas was a zealot. That was a political revolutionary movement. A lot of history about it. They were preparing to uh, take a military approach towards revolution. When he realized that it wasn't going that way, he became so disillusioned, he betrayed the Lord and then killed himself. Peter, he was so confused about what was going on, he denied the Lord. James and John thought they were going to get cabinet positions in this new kingdom. Didn't, didn't play out that way. And by the way, if you support uh, a rebel in the Roman Empire, you wind up crucified too. So on the first Easter Sunday, the disciples are in utter chaos. Their faith system has been entirely deconstructed, and they're in a a time of utter transition. I mean, for three years, they'd invested in this man. They thought they knew where it was going, and now everything's different. Uh, A time of tremendous tension and anxiety. Uh, some people are calling it a, a liminal space, this, this space between where you were here and you thought you were going here, but now you don't know where the there there is and you're not sure what's happening next. And you may feel a little bit like that tonight. And if you don't tonight, you will <laughs> at some point. And so this is a very interesting story about how the Lord meets us in those liminal spaces, meets us in those places of anxiety and terror. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be to you. You know, this could have been a very different story, right? Uh, It could start off, and Peter, holding a scroll, ran into the room and declared, the master has written his instructions and shown us what to do. 
that's, that's not a bad way to start a religion. You could kind of build a museum, put the scroll in it, a little calligraphy. Jesus shows up. That's real important to us, folks. We could almost stop here because this is the Christian life. This is the church. It's Jesus showing up, not, not with a scroll saying, do this, with him, himself. And I think it's especially true if you are in a place of tension and anxiety, a place of waiting, a place of uncertainty. He still shows up. He wants to be with you in that space. Now, he says peace, and they're scared to death. <laughs> they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, or King James says uh, a ghost. Um, I think there's, there's a real obvious reason for that, and they didn't fully understand the resurrection. And when Jesus literally did stand up, it, it of course, scared them. But I think there might be another lesson here, too, that when you've gone through a time of deconstruction, when, you, when you've kind of dismantled things or things have not turned out the way that you thought they would, and you're starting, you're confused and you're afraid and you're asking God, well, come into my life now, Lord, and show me what's next. When he does come, it often scares you to death. <laughs> when he finally shows up in a new way and starts laying out where this thing's going, it can be terrifying. It can be terrifying. Well, what's interesting next is, is he makes sure that they understand that he has a real body. He says, touch me. He shows them his hands, his feet. And then he says, uh, give me something to eat. Give me a piece of fish. He wants them to know that he has a real body. That's really important. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He kind of puts it at the center of our faith. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to all the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely board, he, unborn, he appeared to me. I remember taking a course in theology in, in college, and it was very challenging. It was a graduate course, and uh, I was having trouble keeping up with it. And a lot of the authors that we were reading were uh, German theologians, um, from early in the 20th century. And it was a very strange experience. I had no experience reading these kind of things. And they were using all the Christian words, but after a while I realized they did not believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. They had come uh, to a place, and I would argue from a, 
kind of a whole rational Western secular mindset that's anti-supernatural, they had come to the conclusion that this couldn't be true. They didn't want to throw out the Bible entirely, and so they tried to reform a Christianity without a literal resurrection. And I've seen that pop up again of late, and the argument usually goes something like this. Uh, Faith, literally in the Greek, means to trust, which is true. Pistuo means to trust. And that true faith is about trusting in the person of Jesus, and that's really all that matters. But that's only half true, because the early Christians were very concerned to explain what it was about the person of Jesus that we were believing in. A whole lot of the New Testament is about that. A whole lot of the uh, early Christian writings are about clarifying who he was and what he did. And one of the things that he did was rise bodily from the grave. Now, I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I'm trying to be respectful. Um, when you start to reconstruct your faith after it's been torn down, there are certain core beliefs that have to go back on the board. It's not saying that, you know, I understand sometimes it's hard to believe Doubt, mystery, all that. We're trying to create a community here where it's okay to ask hard questions. We've already seen that Jesus comes to us in the midst of our doubts. Having said all of that, though, if if your flannel graph, if you're not able at this point in your journey to put a risen Christ who rose bodily and literally from the grave back on the graph... You need to understand that you are not a Christian. And I actually think that's an important insight for you to be honest about as you work out your own spirituality. Uh, You need to know where you really are. And I would love to talk with you about this. And we could talk about this for years. I met every week with one man for 12 years talking about this. So this is not about excluding you or saying there's something wrong with you. I'm just trying to clarify there are core beliefs that are at the heart of our faith, and the belief in a literal bodily resurrection is one of them. Every day, almost every day, I I recite the Apostles' Creed. Uh, And one of the reasons I do that is that while a lot of things are unclear to me, and while my faith has changed, and I I find certain things very confusing, there's a core that I hold on to. So again, it may be helpful for you to leave tonight and realize I am not a Christian. It's okay. Let's talk about it. But let's be honest about where you are. Well, but, but who, I mean, body, nobody, who cares? Well, Paul did. Um, and he says in 1 Corinthians 
15.12, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life we only have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. There are a whole lot of things in Scripture that are very, very important but they're not central to our our hope. This is one that is. You can't can't just pull it out. Some of you have uh, helped us with swimming in years past. We we help with the Emerald Youth Foundation swim team, and uh, we're about to start again. And uh, I'd love to have you come out and volunteer Monday, Tuesday, Thursday night, 5.30, 6.30, any night at Ed Cothran Swimming Pool. There's my commercial. So, uh, this year we've already got 70 kids signed up. You may know that uh, drowning is a major cause of, of, of death in, in the inner city because a lot of those kids never get to learn how to swim. So, Emerald Youth has this wonderful program. Well, if you've helped us, there's a wonderful man. His name is Dwayne Sanders, who um, has, has been there for five years. Uh, and he, he, he's 50, he was 51. Uh, and just would, would come. We'd go to these swim meets. We'd get home at 11.30 at night. He'd be driving the bus. Uh, some kid inevitably wouldn't get picked up. He would take him home. Um, well, what you probably didn't realize if you were with us was that Dwayne had pancreatic cancer for the whole five years. I don't know how he did it, but somehow... Even last year, four years into this thing, in the midst of chemo, he was driving the bus. Well, he passed away last Sunday, 51. And his funeral was uh, Friday night at uh, Baptist Church over near uh, Emerald. And it was, it was very, very sad. I mean, you can't, you know, it's been five years of a guy and not... Not think this just isn't right to quote Tyler. What the heck is going on here? This is crazy. Watch his son and his daughter and his wife and his mother. You know, you're not moms aren't supposed to bury their boys. It's just not supposed to work that way. So there's a lot that's just as terrible about it. But the room was filled with hope. And it wasn't cheesy sentimental hope. It was real hope. And the reason for the real hope was the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm honest with you. I think too much. I have an ER temperament. I will sit in a football game with 110,000 people, look around and think, well, who cares who wins 100 years from now? We'll all be dead. I mean, I say things like that. You know, it's just, it's, it's hard to be me. So... And when I drive home from Dwayne's funeral, I was talking with a, with, a, with a friend, Randy Smith, we were talking about this, and you know, he used this illustration. He said it's like 
it's like Normandy. You know, the older you get, the more you run up the beach, and the, the shells just start landing. <laughs> and uh, the further you get in, you know, you know, you know, one of them's going to come for you. And I can, get, I can get kind of wigged out about that. I'm not one of those Christians that just, take me today, Lord, I just want to be with Jesus. No, I don't want to go today. I don't want to go tomorrow. You know, I want a long time left here. I, I love summer. I love spring. I want many more. But when I go to those places, like I did driving home Friday night, there's only one place I know to go. I, I think he really rose from the dead. I have a history degree, a master's from the University of Tennessee. I have a doctorate in history from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Using the principles that I was taught to become a historian at our sometimes great university, uh, <laughs> I think the evidence clearly affirms that Jesus Christ literally, physically, rose from the grave. That's why I'm a Christian, and that's how I face death. Let's look at what happens next. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. That's a whole sermon there. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So the second time that day... Christ preaches. You remember earlier on the Emmaus Road? He opens up the scriptures and reveals what they say about himself. Now he's with the 12 or uh, the 11, and he does the same thing. The way you reconstruct your faith is through scripture. Scripture is the primary way we rebuild our faith. Lots of good secondary ways. Scripture needs to inform us as we rebuild our faith. And, and you know, I, I worry too much. That's part of the sitting in the football game and thinking everybody's going to be dead and who cares who wins. I mean, that's, that's a bad thing. But sometimes I worry that Scripture isn't central enough in our community, in our conversation, and in our lives. And, and you know, I, I get it. We, we've talked about we're going into this postmodern, secular age. Things are different there. We don't live in the Bible Belt anymore. I mean, when I moved here, there were signs that said spring and fall revival, and, and everybody would go, and you'd order your whole calendar around it, and that was just the way it was. They'd do them in the schools. I mean, I get it. Very, very different world now. It used to be that churches would have services Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. That's what everybody did. I get it. You can't do that anymore. 
Here's my worry, though. What are we doing instead? Okay, we're not 1960, uh, three servants, services a week people. Okay, I get it. Nobody's going to do that anymore. I get it. But just sitting on your porch, having a beer with the bros is not enough. There's really two ways it's got to happen, and I don't see how this can change. The structure can change. You've got to have a systematic overview of the Scriptures. You've got to know the overall scope of Scripture. You need to study it. And you need an intimate encounter with the Scripture so that you can meet Jesus in it. So there needs to be Bible study and meditation and contemplation and lectio and things like that. You've got to have that somewhere, friends. And again, I love you. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. See? See, I'm not, I'm not mad. You would not know if I am mad, because I don't do that well. Um, how often were you in Scripture this week? How often were you in community in Scripture this week? Just something I want you to be thinking about. Then Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. When you encounter Jesus, something happens where you go back out into the world and you tell other people about him. We call that witnessing. Again, new day. I've done all sorts of crazy stuff. I've knocked on doors. Sandy and I were part of a group one summer that rented an airplane, flew a banner over the sky. It's like, are you going to hell or something like that? And then we ran up and down the beach and asked people what they thought of the airplane. There's lots of ways to do this, right? I'm not saying that's the way anymore. And truth be known, we were on a summer project I was in love with her. We were supposed to go share with three people. I did it as quickly as possible so we could go date. But that's a whole other story. And I said, so their eternal destiny was little to me, but I found a wonderful woman. So, but witnessing is what happens when you've met Christ. And it, it doesn't have to look big, or important, but it's just, it's just sharing your experience of Christ and inviting others into it. This is another area I worry about. I think we're really strong on hospitality. I think we're really strong on social justice. I think our prayer is really, really good. I I, I just think we're a little too cool for witnessing. Because that's what the fundamentalists do. and That's what that crazy guy out there yelling at people does. And I'm not that. I'm a lot smarter than him. I I don't do that. Taryn and Gary, uh, Taryn Ellsworth and Gary Peacock have been helping me with something, and Taryn's actually writing a book on this. In, in Ephesians 4, there's these five gifts, pastor, prophet, evangelist, teacher, of, uh, apostle. <laughs> I've got to learn them. And we're going to do a series on it in the fall. They're helping me with it. But one of the things I've learned from them is that each of those five offices or people, not, not really offices, are given to equip the body so that they'll become mature. I'm praying that God will 
give us evangelists or identify evangelists. Because we need you. You need to show us what it looks like to be faithful witnesses in our context. Because it's not going to look like it looked like in 1960. I'm not sure what it looks like. So if something in you is kind of beating right now, talk to me about that. Because I want to know who you are and I want to start spending time with you and, and listening to you. And again, not trying to put you on a, on a guilt trip, but I, when's the last time you witnessed? <laughs> when, when, was, when was the last time you even just talked to somebody about what Christ was doing in your life as a way of witnessing? I'm not, I'm not thinking Billy Graham style closing the deal. I'm just thinking, hey, let me tell you what Christ is doing in my life. When was the last time? I know you don't judge by numbers. We don't baptize too many people. I just wonder about that sometimes. Well, then Jesus says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Don't go out there and start witnessing yet. And of course, he's referring to Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. And I, I, I think this is how the church has always understood this, not just as a one-time event, like, well, they got the Spirit at Pentecost and we don't need to worry about it anymore. No, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we need to continually be filled and seek the empowerment of the Holy Spirit if we are going to witness for him. And so the last thing I, I want to ask you Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you prayed that prayer in Ephesians 5 and asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, why do I need to? The Holy Spirit comes into me when I'm saved. Because you leak. (laughs) We all leak. That's why we have to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit.